So if you'll allow me to use the biblical phrase, brothers and sisters, fellowship of faith, I got to tell you, I am astonished. How many of you are turning from the one who called you by his grace and are chasing after other gospels which are no gospel at all? The lure of them is everywhere. I know the voices that clatter around us, the teachings and the supposed wisdom and those who go before us that we respect telling us other things. But I tell you this, if they, if we, if me, if an angel from heaven himself comes down and says anything to you other than the gospel, let him roast in hell. If you didn't get it the first time. If anyone comes proclaiming a gospel other than the one that you have come to know in Christ, let him be eternally under God's curse. I don't say this to win you over. I don't say this to be popular. I say it because those are the stakes. I mean, who's bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Christ has been portrayed as crucified and risen. And I need to ask you, have you experienced God in your life and the spirit of him in you? because you try so hard and because of what you do and because of all the religiosity that you capture or because you just believed what you heard and threw yourself on God's mercy. I could say I beg you, but I'll choose other words. I appeal to you. I ask you, brothers and sisters in Christ, do not forsake the one who has called you by his gospel. Because some of you are being alienated from Christ. You're removing yourself from his grace. You who were free are allowing yourselves to be yoked again in spiritual slavery, turning back to the weak, the miserable, the stupid principles of this world that seem so right and yet are so wrong and so contrary to the way of the Spirit and of Christ. I can go on. The words I'm sharing with you tonight are a taste, a surface level of what Paul wrote to those Galatian Christians. It's the appeal he made to them, but if we can't sit in their shoes and let it speak to us, what's the point? If the Bible is just a record of things spoken back then and not something that invites us to allow the words to speak to us as well, then, then, then we've missed what this is all 
about what God said to them through Paul. God says to us through Paul, even though he never met us, even though he doesn't know us, even though it's 2,000 years later, that message still holds true. And tonight, tonight, it makes more of a difference and is more stark in its contrast than any other time. Because if we do pause tonight to not just go through the religiosity of this, to not just go through the motion, but to stop and say, wait, wait a minute. I am broken. I am a sinner. I do fall short. And I do try to please God. If we can't sit here tonight and admit that part of ourselves that really wonders at times if we're better than the other people that we know. You know, the comparative games. I mean, I know I'm not perfect, but, you know, not like him. You know, if we can't come here tonight and just look at ourselves in the face, or maybe better, to look at God's law as a mirror by which we see ourselves accurately and not just how we think of ourselves in our mind's eye? If we can't do that tonight, then when can we? That invitation from God, it's always before us. It's always before us in case we start to think too highly of ourselves, to depend on ourselves, to think that, oh, wow, look what I've done. God's got to love, accept, and be so glad to have someone like me. No, if we can't heed that invitation regularly, we risk going off the rails I meet so many people who are terrified to look in that mirror. They're so afraid of what they're going to see that the image that they've constructed of themselves is not as, as beautiful, as good, as lovable, or pristine as I think and hope and ought and want to be. Maybe you're here tonight and you're terrified to look into that mirror. Maybe it's because of a sense of shame. It's the guilt. It's, 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 it's the, the emotional baggage that comes with what we don't talk about. That's better left, it seems, unsaid tucked down, so, 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 so we go the other way, and yet maybe it's because of fear or terror, not of ourselves, but of God. Maybe it's a fear and a terror of God that if it comes out, as Jesus would say, what's in the darkness, if what's in the darkness comes into the light, then maybe just maybe he will reject us 
too. I feel like as people in this world, we walk on the edge of a knife. And on one side is this temptation to throw in the towel and just say, I can never do it. So I'll embrace every bad, wretched, I'll resign myself to every sinful thing because what's the point? And on the other, the temptation to think that we are better and more able than we are, we walk on the edge of that knife. And one misstep to one side or the other It's catastrophic. I think of what Jesus said. Broad and wide is the road that leads to destruction, and many, many walk upon it, but narrow is the road that leads to life. And only a few find it because it is so easy walking that narrow road to veer here or there. But so many make that mistake of thinking that what that narrow road entails is getting our own lives right before God. The New Testament invites us to think about the road differently. To walk a narrow road, bearing not to this side or to that, in the full realization and disclosure of all our wretched sinfulness. And yet with the full confidence, assurance, and hope that no matter what a mess you happen to be and what's broken within, God died for you. that God loves you. That God who knows everything about you, including the deepest, darkest parts, the parts that maybe you don't even know full well yourself, that not in ignorance of it, but in full knowledge of it is a God who is, well, how did Joel put it? Gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in love, one who relents from sending calamity, one who sent his son to die for you so that because of what God did for you and not because of what you do for God. We can come boldly and confidently before him. Forgiven. Forgiven. To those who know the brokenness, there's no sweeter words than forgiven. His spirit for you, given freely, Renewal, 
restoration, redemption, healing. I can go on with a hundred words that the Bible uses and Christians have used since the time it was written that describe it. You know what I mean. That, that is the gospel. And the center of what it means to engage in the Christian life, the walk with God by his spirit. Which means tonight, while a night of ash is not a night of depression or despair. No, if that's your idea of Ash Wednesday, I'm sorry, you're wrong. You're wrong in that. No. It's a night to proclaim the freedom we have in Christ no matter how much ash is on our head or in our soul. And so tonight, we mark ourselves with it and by it. Not because there's some, you know, magical property in this, No, as a reminder, is a signal to ourselves and to others and to God that yes, I am a broken, sinful human being. But Christ died for me. I am a son of God. Jesus invites you. To that tonight. I'm speaking, but his invitation is for everyone. Those of you here who are broken, those of you here who are destroyed, those of you here immersed in despair, those of you here baptized into sin, those of you here who have a train wreck in history behind you, those of you who think you have gone so far that God can never have anything to do with you again, those of you who feel cast off, those of you who are despised, and those of you who battle your self-righteousness, his invitation is for you to come and mark and live your life by him. And so we invite you to come forward to receive that mark, to partake in that body and blood of the new covenant. Embrace Embrace his spirit, his presence. That relationship he invites you to have with him.